Welcome back to Coaching Kern in Episode 2. It's May 24th, 2022. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your host, former professional baseball player, college head coach, current MLB and NBA analyst. I'm joined by my co-host, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, Hall of Famer, author, 47 years, made famous at the New York Post, uh, giving us a unique baseball experience through his baseball experiences. A former college baseball player himself, you can find him on ball9.com. Two phenomenal stories a week. I recommend queuing into ball9.com to pick up Kevin's stories each week. He's also on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan, K-E-R-N-A-N. AMBS stands for America's Most Beloved Sports Writer. You can now add famous world famous podcaster to his tagline. After week one, we posted numbers and downloads that put us in the top 20% globally. I think we're getting ready to catch Joe Rogan, Kevin. Uh, you can <laughs> find us on Twitter at uh, where you can search Coaching Kernan or the tagline at D-A-V-I-D-D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-16. Sorry for the long tagline. They gave it to us at David D'Agostin16 on Twitter. You can find Kevin on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan. Our additional social sites will be up this week and announced tomorrow on our platform. You can stream us by searching Coaching Kernan on Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Our performance got the the ear of iHeartRadio, so we'll be on iHeart at the end of the week. We encourage you to download, listen, follow, subscribe, and give us as many stars as you can. That'll help us continue this information load to our fans and audience out there week to week. You can also communicate with us on email, coachandkernan at protonmail.com. Coachandkernan is all one word. Week one, we received over 250 email questions from our guests, which we will reward this week by picking four guests on our air with our first segment of Clubhouse Baseball. Um, each of our guests will get one one question from a supporting fan. So with just one week on Twitter, four streaming platforms, we touched fans in the U.S., New Zealand, South Africa, the Netherlands, Spain, the Dominican, and Qatar. So, Kevin, you're officially global right now. Before we, we say good morning to you, we want to thank our sponsor, our first sponsor, One-on-One Pathway for College Scholarships. To date, in the last 23 months, 535 basketball, baseball, and softball scholarships to deserving young men and women. The premise of the platform is to make parents the first educator in this process, save them tons of money and tons of mistakes. You can find them on Twitter, at one-on-one, your shot on one, or Instagram, one-on-one, your shot on your terms. And that's their tagline, your shot on your terms. Kevin, good morning. I'll I'll introduce our resident experts in a moment and our format. But first, uh, give a little reminder to our audience regarding what we're about, um, how we came about, and you can give a little little bit of what you had taking place in the week um, in your travels, and how maybe how it feels to be an instant podcast success. Well, I'm not surprised to be honest with you, because we're offering information. You know, it's not just you and I. We have experts on. We're lucky with Bull and Sal and, and the guests we're going to have. These are people. And this is where my experience comes in, Dave. Uh, you know, I've met, I've been doing this 45 years. I know who's good at what they do, 47 years, whatever. And I know who's good, who's not, why it's important for the, to talk to those people. But I also know, too, co- covering baseball, that, you know, you come up, you might have a good week as a rookie. You might have a good first year. The league makes adjustments to you. So, we, you know, we got, we're going to have to stay in our game. We're going to have to uh, – really keep people uh, happy and give them information that they can't get anywhere else. And especially youth. When I say youth, I mean, you know, eight, nine, 10, right through college. Cause there's so much of this game to learn. All you gotta do is watch one night of 
Major League Baseball games and see where they screw up. They don't know what you're doing. And uh, we want you to avoid those mistakes. We want to make you the best athlete you can be. And we want you to have fun. And we're going to tell fun stories, too. So, like I always say, let's get right to it. Let's hit it. No, I agree totally. And, and with that, uh, I'd like to introduce our resident experts. And you hit it right on the nail. Uh, these two were an instant hit. And I saw that in our email bag, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. But our, our first resident expert, 45 years in professional baseball as a player, as a coach, as a scout. We'll refer to him on this show as Bull um, for the purposes of the show. But Bull, welcome back to the show. Fantastic first week. Uh, we appreciate all the insights you gave. Um, and we're certainly going to bring it bring it again this week. Thanks for having me back. And uh, good morning to all, to all involved and uh, looking forward to another great week. And our, our second resident expert, the most unique performance coach that I've come around in, in, in my lifetime. Um, unique in the sense that he enhances athletes across the spectrum from youth all the way to pros. And just like our our other guests, our resident expert, Bull and Kevin, these guys find the space between the notes. Uh, Sal Marinello, welcome back to the show. Second week, had, had a great first week, and, and we're looking forward to you hammering it out again for us. Thanks, Dave. And, you know, the, the experience is, is awesome. And the follow-up has, you know, made my brain churn even more than usual um, to try to come up with solutions for a lot of the things we're seeing out there. So I'm looking forward to getting after it. No, we, we appreciate you having on. And as Kevin said, we're only as good as our talent. And, and you two are certainly the most talented in your field. And we're, we're lucky to have you. Um, gentlemen, we had a successful first week. And as all coaches say, I heard each one of you say it in, in, your, little, in, in your little intro, that great first week, fantastic. But now we got to do it again. We got to get back to it and do it again. We got to deliver. So I thought we'd warm up uh, with a little fan mail, reward our fan base in week one. And we'll call this section the clubhouse section. I mentioned to Kevin before the show today, I received so much good feedback from our audience. And one of the things they liked was that they visualized all four of us sitting in a clubhouse around a card table, just talking baseball the last segment. So I thought, what a better way to reward our fans by naming the first segment of our mailbag, the clubhouse. So, um, Bull, I'd like to start with you, if that's okay. We've got yep. uh, James is a 14-year-old baseball player from New Zealand. So we're going we're gonna to hit the youth today. We had a lot of youth response. James, 14-year-old baseball player from New Zealand. He's a shortstop and a pitcher. He really grabbed on to your description of that professional hitter who was told, develop gap-to-gap power, and the good Lord willing, as you get stronger, you'll develop home run power. But at the very least, you'll be a great gap hitter. So James wants to know if you can give him some thoughts on different approaches at the plate um, when he steps up there. And you and I talked a little bit about one of my son's approaches. He dominates the inner half and adjusts everything away. Um, but can you can you give us some other approaches or expound upon that one approach you talked about to help James out from New Zealand? Yeah, uh, James, thanks for your question. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, uh, starting uh, when doing uh, your T work uh, or your cage work. Uh, try to hit the back of the cage, not hit the top, not hit the sides. Keep everything in the middle part of the cage um, when you're doing soft toss as well or you're taking batting practice in a cage. And then you can carry that out to the field. And uh, as you're taking batting practice, you want to let the ball get deep and hit it hard 
uh, from gap to gap, basically. Um, imagine the second baseman and shortstop at their standard positions and just hit the ball hard up through there. Uh, when you do that, you allow the ball to get into the zone, <clears throat> and eventually you train your bat to stay through the zone longer. And the longer you stay through the zone, uh, the more hard contact you make and the better contact you make. Uh, so many young hitters that I'm seeing now are trying to hit home runs and was sitting at a game with a former major league player and manager who's a special assistant. He said, you know, our kids are hitting under 200 here and their bats are in and out of the zone so quick they have no chance to hit anything. Um, and you just want to develop that that approach. Power will come as you get bigger and stronger. Yeah, that's it. I might jump in here, Will, because uh, later on, our later guests, uh, they have a um, bowl. I'm sorry, we're going to uh, fix that. <laughs> you can fix that. And uh, the uh, on the T work, very important, very important. Um, you want to hit not only up the middle, but make little games for yourself and and like hit it the other way. Well, there's one team I know, uh, they play horse. They actually play horse off the tee and they challenge to hit the ball the other way and not pull the ball. So I think that's very important. And I, I think the points you make, Bull, will, uh, will resonate and start small. Don't go crazy. No, the, the, those are awesome. And, you know, Kevin, you, you, you covered one of the greatest hitters in our lifetime, Tony Quinn. And his ability to handle the bat is legendary in the game where people would say he would literally go out and you probably have seen this. And I've heard these stories where he would hit line drives off of the third base bag, the first base bag and the second base bag. That's how well he controlled the barrel of the bat. And that's just absolutely incredible. And, and, and I saw it live, but here I'm going to, this is, and this is where we're different. You know, when we talk to guys like bull, it brings out great memories that I have. And one of Tony's greatest drills, and I want everybody to listen to this at any level, because Tony Gwynn did it, okay, in the majors for all the years I was around him. He would take a tee. He would take standard wiffle balls. He would take a the net that you would have at first base, or, or you can use an L screen, but he'd put it in front of him about eight, nine feet in front of him. And he would hit the wiffle ball off the tee. And he would try to get the rotation where the wiffle ball would hit the net and bounce right back to the tee. If the ball bounced right back to the tee, the wiffle ball would tell him if he's coming through the ball the proper way, you know, if he's spinning out or anything like that. So a simple wiffle ball, tee, and a net made his uh, made, made him that much of a, you know, what, seven, eight times a, a batting champion. That's a great segue into your question, Kevin. Um, so we'll, we'll skip to you. We had 17-year-old Ariana from California, softball player, um, I got a chance to see her swing. She sent video. looks like a female Don Mattingly, the way she strokes it. Um, she, her question to you was, she said, I love Tony Gwynn. In researching you, you seem to have a special relationship with him as a writer and a player. If you could pull back on those talks, two questions, I guess. She snuck two in here. Okay. What would Tony Gwynn say to the modern-day hitters and the nerds? She put in quotes, LOL. And does anyone in today's game remind you of him? There's a couple guys, you know, I'm going to really go on the, on the limb here. And uh, I'm not, and again, I'm not saying they're Tony Gwynn, but you know, who's a, a player 
that I, I love his approach, and, and maybe Bolo want to jump in on that if, if I'm wrong or right. But I love the kid Lewis Ruiz from uh, Minnesota. He gets, you know, he, he he's hitting the ball the other way. Um, yeah, you know, he's happy to get a single the other way to five six hole. He's a lefty, so he'll hit it to left field. So that's one of the players that reminds me of him. And um, and Tony, by the way, could have hit thirty homers a year. He told me he would have lost thirty points in his batting average, and he weighed the two. He could have become pull heavy. And uh, the second thing is softball. You know, my daughter, um, I'm going to give you a great tip here. My daughter was, uh, she set the home run record at her college. And in part because she was a hard worker, but she also got a great tip that I got from one of, uh, no, none other than Barry Bonds. Uh, I, I, this is a story we'll tell later on, the whole story. But Bonds was busting my chops one day. So I busted his. Anyway, it led to a great conversation. And, and I, he, I had him break down his swing, and he told me with his backhand, okay, he's lefty, right? So he would punch. That would be a punch more than a swing. And it would be a way to bring the knob of the bat to the tee, to the ball, whatever. And that would give him his explosion. If you look at his swings, that's what he's doing with his backhand. He's punching. And once I, once I passed that along to my daughter, uh, it helped her tremendously. It connected. You just got to find some way to connect. But – that made her much more explosive. Uh, years later, I see Barry Bonds, and I, you know, again, we're always kind of breaking each other's chops, and because um, he never wants to do interviews, and and I, I mentioned that little story about my daughter and typical Barry Bonds, typical ball player. What does he say to me? He goes, he didn't say that's great to hear. He says, send me a check, send me a check. So that's a uh, in, in the ball player's world. Uh, that's money, and uh, hopefully that helps. And, of course, you already know, how do you hit the rise ball? You don't. You stay off the rise ball, you get it earlier. Hope that helps. Yeah. I think that's great advice, Ariana. Bo, how about you? Weigh in on that. Any modern-day hitters remind you of Tony Gwynn, and what do you think he'd say to the nerds nowadays? Well, um, there are guys out there, uh, right, Neil, uh, right now, Jeff McNeil, Jumped his average back up. He's hitting about forty points higher than he did than he did back in uh, two thousand twenty and twenty one, where he sac- tried to sacrifice his hit ability for home runs. And you know, it's it's fun to watch him at the plate because he takes what they give him. You know, and teams are still playing him in a shift, and he's hitting ground balls between the five and six hole and line drives that way. And little little pop ups into the left field and things like that, and he still has enough power to turn on the ball when it's inside. And um, I, if you guys don't mind, I I wanted to share a, a story about Ichiro when he came to Seattle, and um, uh, Lou Pinello was the manager. And I was in Yankee Stadium with some veteran scouts, and we were all anxious to see what Ichiro looked like because we were all in Florida for spring training. And we were watching, and he's slapping balls, you know, the other way, the other way, the other way. Uh, little ground ball up the middle, a line drive up the middle. And uh, Jim Fergosi, former major league manager, asked Lou Pinelli, he said, does he have any power? So he grabbed the uh, – he grabbed the translator and told him to, you know, go ahead and, you know, 
turn it loose. He had about seven of the next eight balls into the upper deck of Yankee Stadium. <laughs> he and, had some power. Uh, he had some power. Oh, he, he had plenty of power. If, if, if he wanted to, again, in, just in the same as Tony Gwynn, he could have hit 30 home runs easily if he wanted to. Yeah, I, I want to jump in because I, 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 I missed that one part of the question. But here's what Tony Gwynn would say to the nerds. Thanks. That's what he would say. Thanks, because he would hit 400. Yeah. How about Sal? Sal, you had something you wanted to add to this. Yeah, I just wanted to say in general, back to the first question, Dave, you know, I've seen so many athletes that 140-pound, 150-pound kid, freshman year, hitting the ball 400 feet. And, you know, you hear coaches say you have to get stronger. And that translates into get into the weight room, which it really, in my mind, is ludicrous because you have a kid already hitting the ball 400 feet at a, a barely mature 14. Just ride the course. He, if he gets naturally to 160, 170, that's going to include musculature, which is going to allow him to hit the ball as far as he needs to. And it goes into uh, Bull's comment about the gap-to-gap power. So, you know, in general, be I would say to parents, be very wary of coaches that want to take your 14, 13, 15-year-old kid, male or female, and put them in the weight room to help them hit the ball further. So there are They are two mutually exclusive uh, activities. Great point. That's great point. So what do they do, though, to get stronger? Because kids want to get stronger. They have to get stronger. Well, so, Kevin, I'll tell you, There's, I can tell you hundreds of cases of kids who could bench 200 pounds but couldn't do 15 good push-ups. So that, again, is an indication of what's, what are we measuring or how what are we measuring and how are we measuring strength? I said this to Dave during our conversation. Everybody knows what the 40 what the 40 times are, what their verticals are in some field. You know, what their home to first or home to second time. What's the kid's ankle range of motion? Because the ankle range of motion is going to set up every other movement pattern, whether it's the pivot during the swing, whether it's the push-off when you're pitching, obviously any kind of running or mobility. So we're measuring and we're defining things, and we're not all talking about the same thing. So – in my opinion, that kid gets stronger by putting on more muscle than he does fat from the time he's 14 to the time he's fully mature and keep swinging and working on the swing mechanics. Don't foul up that movement pattern by going into the weight room and lifting weights. Well, and the, real quick, give me a quick, a, give me a quick version of how, how do you improve your ankle uh, rotation or whatever you call it. Well, the, you know, we talked – I think we have a little something coming up, so I don't want to – Okay, yeah, we'll save it for later. Right? That's yeah, part of podcasting, yeah, too. We want to we leave the carrot out there for the horse. Yeah, but I will say is the all general, good general warm-up slash preparation um, activities should address that. And, you know, I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole, but – um, there's ways to explain why this ankle range is so bad. And I see that across the board, guys. I see high-level athletes coming in with horrendous uh, ankle mobility. And I'm talking of, of a system I use on a scale of zero to five. I get mostly twos and imbalances, like a two and a one. So 
So that kind of leads into your question that we had from our one of our podcast listeners. We had uh, 13 year old Tanner from South Carolina via New York. So I think I know who this question asker is. Uh, I'm a switch hitting catcher. I take a great pride in blocking and working on the movable plate. He put in quotes. So he obviously listened to you both last week with all the testing done on pop times and exit velocities and spin rates. I want, I would love to hear your thoughts on how important flexion is at the foot and ankle. And he put in quotes, your sniper reference to catching and overall health of an athlete. And how do you test that? How do you measure that? How do you warm up for that? So you get to go down that rabbit hole you mentioned right now for Tanner, 13 years, 13 years old, South Carolina via New York. Well, Tanner, if I didn't know better, I would have thought I wrote that question and put your name on it as a uh, as a plant because that's a, an excellent question. Um, if more strength coaches, I'll use that term, use the uh, mindset you had, we'd not be in this place. So um, I knew this question was coming up, Tanner, and I've actually put together a little video that we're going to release a little bit later this week. But there's... Um, the importance of the deep squat, like we showed in that, uh, we'll show you a picture of that, is to help range of motion in your ankle. But then what you need to do is practice that on the balls of your feet as you would if you were in a catching position. If you go back and search for a, a picture of Yogi Berra or Johnny Bench or some of the old uh, catchers from that era, you will see that they're in a position where they're way up on the balls of their feet. Um, from that position, they are able to be agile and not only um, move, but move the plate. So like Bull's point of last week, if you are smooth and can take that subtle shift because you are in a position that's advantageous for agility, you're going to be able to do that with much less effort uh, than the catcher that does not have that mobility. So it really is a case of, as a catcher, you're already in the position you need to be in. So practice that. I love that. Uh, Bull, you had raised your hand before. I don't know if it was on the last question or this it, one right here. It, it, was actually, yeah, it was actually on this one, Sal. And uh, when I was a pitching coach, uh, we had a kid, had a good arm, good curveball, really good competitive kid. We just couldn't get him to stay in a strong balance point. And uh, we come to find out that he had uh, torn some ligaments in his ankle and had sprained his ankle, you know, growing up playing basketball all the time. So he had this, he had this weak, feeble ankle that he couldn't load into balance and get onto the ball of his foot and then push off. So we actually, we trained him with a golf ball under the heel of the spikes and he would just sit and hold balance and, and, and work off of that trying to, and then we did other things the trainer was doing to build the flexibility and the mobility of the ankle, but it ended up really helping him a lot and allowing his arm to catch up with his body just by sticking the golf ball under his heel. Well, that that's, I think, a, a, a starting point. But you have to introduce movement, and there's exercises that I do uh, to build the foot and the strength of the foot. And so it's a combination of you've got – you get these kids who have weak feet and ankles, and there's a whole song and dance I could give you, but – Briefly, I'll tell you, kids don't tie their shoes, kids wear slides, and they don't ever 
have free play anymore. So you have three major components to developing, in my opinion, foot and ankle mobility that have been removed from uh, the everyday life of most of these kids. So, Bull, by the time you get these kids that are kids relative to us, but now mature athletes, they've got these movement patterns that are so ingrained, it, it needs real nonstop constant attention. So there is a whole series of exercises I do to develop the strength in the big toe, the foot, the ankle, in addition to try to loosen up the the soft tissue in that lower leg area. So it's a combination of things and it takes a long time, especially the older the athlete. Yeah. Our, our trainer was an old school guy. He ended up being a major league trainer for about 10 or 12 years. And he had this kid in the training room every day doing mobility and flexibility and all different types of things, trying to, trying to reinforce what had never happened in this kid's life after having the injuries to the ankle. And, and it really did help the, the combination of those two things and just how important this game is built from the ground up. And if you don't have a foundation uh, you know, there's a reason why, you know, poor Ryan Howard never hit again after tear, tearing his Achilles and uh, Chase Utley after all the knee injuries that he had never was the same hitter. You, 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 if you don't have your foundation, you don't have anything in this game. And, and in my opinion that you, I mean, Kevin could speak to it as covering sports um, for as long as he did. The torn Achilles was something you never saw in a, a young athlete. That was a guy usually at the end of the line, an older guy had a lot of wear and tear. You've got like, there was a, I know it's football, but there was the football player from Michigan who tore his Achilles in his pro day. There was just a, an NFL player who was doing an Instagram workout, tore his Achilles doing a workout. And these are young guys. And that's a reflection of the dysfunction in the, in the foot and ankle and lower leg. And the the crazy training they've been subjected to all these years. That's phenomenal answers, guys. Let's get to our last question, number four. And this one actually got addressed to me, but I'd like for all all you guys to weigh in on if if you see fit. Uh, The question's from CJ, 13 years old, in New Jersey. So we hit New Jersey, too. Um, He said, Dave, you guys talked about hitting approaches and batting practice. What tips can you give me on the other side of the ball? So defensively, I'm a second baseman. How can I use batting practice to enhance my abilities to defend? No, great question. Um, going back to the offensive side of it, I had the luxury of getting to ask Wade Boggs one question one time, and I asked him how to use batting practice as a hitter. And two things he told me, he said he likes to work away back to the pole side. So he's a lefty hitting left field so he could see it longer and then move it around the field. And the other thing he told me was nine out of the 10 balls you hit in batting practice should be hits in the game if you're any good. So I, I took those two bits of advice to me with batting practice as a young kid. But CJ, to answer your question, I'm going to give you three names of, of guys to look at, and then I'll give you a couple tips. Uh, three guys you should search right away on YouTube. Look for Perry Hill, look for Ron Washington, and look for Billy Ripken. Three great guys. They break it down three different ways but they'll talk to you about a couple of things I'm going to point out. Um, so as a second baseman or any position in reality, you've got to understand alignment and assignment. And that comes from watching the game, watching the situations. And in most batting practices, they'll run through situations, you know, they'll bunt two. So you'll watch the guy 
actually simulate your movement and your rotation into that. Start moving in the direction you're supposed to move defensively. The hit and run, same idea. So as your batting practice moves guys around in the base pass, adjust your position accordingly and mentally start thinking about what your assignment is there. Uh, Second thing I would do is it's great to read the ball off of a live bat. Nothing's truer. So start learning how to read the hands, and you start reading the hands by reading the baseball out of the pitcher's uh, hand. Uh, So as you're following the ball, follow the ball from the pitcher's hand all the way to the batter and start reading the hands. So you can start reading when a guy slices the ball, when he rolls over, when he hits it solid. Um, I think that'll help. Also, good to get a good fungo hitter. Most fungo hitters hit the ball in the bottom half of that the ball, which is not necessarily true to why guys ground the ball out. When guys are grounding the ball out, it's usually got some top spin on it. So find a fungo hitter that knows how to put some top spin on the ball for you. Um, the, the, the next thing I'll mention is your timing. I like to always start on the outfield grass as a second baseman and kind of creep in bit by bit in my stance. And as that ball passed the pitcher's ear, that was my timing mechanism. That's when I got into my one, two, my right, left. Um, so I would start working on that. Make that a habit. Um, you know, habits don't have emotions. They either getting better or getting worse. And if you can make that a habit, you'll be much more prepared to feel the ground ball. Um, the, the second to last thing I'll mention is that same right, left. As that ball is approaching you, you should be moving right, left to the ball in the direction that you're going to be throwing. Um, as a second baseman, you're going to have a sharper angle than you would as a shortstop or a third baseman. So prepare your feet before you field the ball. Think about right, left, funnel, and then replace. By replace, I mean replace your feet right to left. And you'll see that a lot on Perry Hill. Um, the, the last thing I'll mention to you, it kind of goes together. You know, I like to field the baseball with two hands. A lot of guys use the one. But when you're fielding the baseball, think of the term field. You don't catch it. The ball needs to hit the palm of your glove. And you want to challenge the ball off the turf. So you want to get as little time from that ball to your glove as possible. There's less chance for it to move on you. So as that ball's leaving the ground, you want to move through the baseball. When I mentioned right, left, through the ball, move through the baseball with your feet, looking to feel the ball in the palm instead of the webbing. You can pull it out easier. Um, last thing is, you know, dead spot. Uh, try to feel the ball out in front of you. If it's between your legs, you won't be able to see it. You see a lot of guys boot it there. Um, And, uh, you know, feeling it out in front of you will prevent that dead spot. When you throw, follow your throw. That'll give you a little bit of carry. I wasn't a guy with a strong arm. I had an average arm. But through that little follow technique that I did, meaning kind of chase the ball to its target, it helps you get direction, helps you get speed. And um, and, and hope that helps you out, CJ. Great question from New Jersey. Um, You know, again, Perry Hill, Ron Washington, Bill Ripken, great guys to follow. That's that's a great answer there, Dave. And I don't I don't think I need to go anything into because, um, like you said, I've seen those guys work. People at seven a.m. I'd show up uh, sometimes even earlier at the Braves camp and spring training. Ron Washington will be out in front of, and you don't need a. a, a I, I want to take it off the field a little bit, off the infield. You don't need to be any anything elaborate. He was doing it. He would do the one knee drills uh, right in front of the dugout seven a.m. every day, and and you get better. You bounce the ball to the guys, and you do that kind of stuff. But I also want to take it to a brick wall. Uh, I've had uh, Bill Mazeroski, I asked him once, and he was a gold glover, basically, second baseman with Pirates, long before anybody that's listening to the show, uh, you know, just back in the day. I said, how'd you become such a great fielder? And he said, I used to live by, I, when growing up, I lived by the Ohio River. And again, we didn't have much money, but every time there was a storm, I, rubber balls would wind up in my backyard because they would come down the river, rubber balls. So he would take rubber balls, and he would bounce them against a brick wall. To this day, 
to this day, Perry Hill does that drill. He'll take guys out, put them in sneakers or whatever, and put yeah. them on pavement and bounce a bounce a brick wall or right next to a brick wall, and that'll do it. And uh, and a pinky ball works, you know, one of those type of balls. And lastly, um, just this is just uh, this just this is this when you learn to do this, you do it forever. I call up. Um, well, I'll save this story. This is a good story, but it's uh, I'll save it for when we talk about pitching. But those things will do it for you. Uh, rubber balls, wall, do more repeats. I had a friend who lived in New Jersey at the time. He put in AstroTurf in his basement, and he would just hit balls to his son all winter long in the basement. So there's many ways you can do it. You can put a little track. You can chalk out on a street you know, a hundred yards and that improves your speed. Then you become a better fielder. So all it takes is work, fellas. That's all it takes. Well, give us some things you've seen in spring training over the years that uh, maybe some tips for these young infielders, whether it's in BP or just things like Kevin mentioned with the Perry Hill drill against the wall, which I love. Um, yeah, those are, <clears throat> those are great uh, examples. I, you know, I watched Perry Hill make Jose Vidro from a below average defender to a gold glove in Montreal. I've watched Ron Washington. I played played with him, against him, uh, watched him do his work and what he does, and, and Billy Ripken and Cal Ripken, those people. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's about work ethic. And, and all the, there's so many good drills to do. Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, the Expos used that wall drill for years. I, uh, you know, uh, there was one also that where the coach stood behind the player and he threw the ball and then the player had to react to the wall like it was coming off the bat. So, you know, that helped that first step quickness or whatever. Um, you know, the other thing as you get older, uh, I've heard good infielders that, also in reading the swing, the sound of the ball coming off. You know whether it's hit hard or hit soft, uh, whether you're going to have to play through, um, follow your throw. You know, really, Dave, you covered just about everything. Um, and there's no gimmicks. It's all hard work. Uh, I would say for any infielder to, to, to take balls off the bat for one group of batting practice every day. That definitely will help you. I think that's great advice. And we're going to have Dave Turgeon on later in the show from IMG Academy, USA Baseball. That's going to, he's going to wow everybody with kind of wrapping our stuff in a bow and talking straight fundamental baseball, how there are no shortcuts to hard work. Um, great guys, great job with the mailbag. We appreciate our fans for writing in. We'll get more next week. But now we're going to move into our next segment called Seat in the Dugout. I think Kevin appropriately named it last time where. You know, this experience that we're giving people is like having a seat right in the dugout during game day. So uh, let's, let's make our movement down to the dugout. And I know, Kevin, we talked about different topics this week. Um, we've seen Max Scherzer go down with obliques. That was a hot topic last week for us. Sal called that. Um, Chad Green with an injury on a pickoff play. Um, all these things weigh into potential overuse or poor use or poor development. Um, I figure I'd turn it over to you now and make use of our resident experts here and pull some things from them beyond the mailbag questions. Yeah. I, I, I want to go on, a, on one direction here with this, because I'm going to get, we'll let Sal handle the expertise of the injury type things. 
Um, and don't forget, too, that, uh, you know, the Yankees were hit hard this week. Uh, the Achilles injury as well. Sal, I mentioned Achilles. And, uh, you know, uh, the injuries are everywhere. And, and there's got to be a reason for it. And they need to cut it down. The I remember talking to Sandy Olson about four years ago. And he said, we're going to get to the bottom. We're going to figure out these Tommy John injuries, you know. They haven't figured them out. It's not pitch count. We, we, we talked about it last week, long toss. I want, I want to talk about a mental aspect of the game, and I'm going to hand it over to you sure. guys because I don't want to go too long here. But there's a great saying. I, I came across this years ago, and I think it, it really – and this may rub people some, some people the wrong way, but I don't care. I don't care. Um, baseball reflects America and society's need for confrontation. And that's what baseball you, – you got to get out there on the field. And you got to want to beat the next guy, and you want to you want to embarrass him. You, you want to take care of business. You want to make sure we got to get back. I see so many, and I've seen so many youth games through, through the years, all the way through. It's great to have little league and fun and things like that. But when push comes to shove, you got to get a little tougher mentally playing this game, and you can't make excuses. You can't make excuses for anything. You, you rise above the excuses. So you have to get yourself ready to play a game mentally before the game starts. And that's one of the biggest things I think we can do. Uh, it, you do all the warm-ups physically, but, you know, you know, and you still got to have fun. You got to be relaxed. I'm not saying that. But you got to get yourself in a, in a situation where when that first pitch goes, you're ready to beat the other guy. So let's physically – you know, and you saw a little bit this week. Where I'm not going to get too heavy into the situation, but the White Sox and the Yankees had a situation this week. You could tell the White Sox were, were you know, they were a little fired up, and they swept the Yankees. So the Yankees had the best record in baseball. So a lot of this game is mental as well as physical, and that, and that's basically what I wanted to say. Let's everything can't just be done by an iPad, a drill, or this or that. You got you have to be in the right frame of mind mentally to beat the other guy. No, we agree. There's no better sport than baseball with that. I mean, you got the pitcher, the batter. Mommy and daddy can't help you. Um, the guy with the ball is trying to mow you down. The guy at the plate, you know, you're dealing with that 17 inches across the plate. And you, you either get it done or you don't get it done. And one of the phrases I use, and, and boy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this as far as repetition, um, developing those mental habits. Habits have no emotion. They're either good or they're bad. And either way, you're building them whether you want to approach it a certain way or not. And uh, talk about the – expound upon what Kevin said about the mental approach to baseball. He mentioned the word confrontation. Um, how much do you see of that nowadays as opposed to maybe 20 years ago? Um, I would say not enough. Um, when I grew up playing and when I was still coaching in the minor leagues, um, we didn't like the other team. Uh, there was an old saying, and you probably ran across this, if – uh, an old school manager or coach saw you talking to a player that you were going to play that night, they'd say, take him out to dinner. I don't want to see it here. Um, and now prior to the game, it's, you know, you know, I hate to say it. It's the entitlement showcase kids who now play in the big leagues and the, the, the kids that go to the entitlement Arizona fall league and play in the, the, uh, the, the all-star game at the all-star game and they all hug each other and they all, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I've seen guys give other guys high fives that just hit a bases loaded clearing double against their pitcher. <laughs> if I'm pitching, I'm not real happy about that. <laughs> I, I, 
I, you know, we don't compete enough. Uh, you know, we have a, we, we have a competitiveness category. You know, we want guys that want to beat the guy across the field. You know, when the game's over, it's over. And, you know, you might still be friends, you know, but I, I, I don't want to, I don't want guys that don't want to compete. And, and, uh, you know, you want to have a little bit of an edge, you know, growing up on the playground, you know, the, the guy who was a, a little bit of an ass that, <laughs> that nobody liked when it came time, you wanted him on your team. If you were choosing sides, you weren't going to p- not pick them. Those are the guys I want, the guys who want to win. No question. Uh, what, Kevin, you had something you wanted to add in. Yeah, real quick, I want to throw in there because I, I love to do examples. We, we, we talk about it, but let me give you the, I'm bringing into the dugout, the back dugout on the backfield, Yankees, Tampa. Uh, this was a couple springs ago. DJ LeMay, he was playing second base. And I won't mention the field, uh, another, you know, they were left behind. The team was playing on the road. And this is when the players get all the work done when they stay behind when the team is on the road. So LeMay, who's taken. 50 balls at second base, 100 balls at second base. Uh, in between breaks, um, and, and this is doing BP, so that's going on too. One of the outfielders comes over, and I'm sitting in the, literally sitting in a dugout with them, and, and he goes, hey, let's go out in the outfield and shag. Let's, let's, let's go talk. And LeMayo gave him the – I mean, LeMayo gave him the kind of a stern look and said, I've got work to do. And he went over to third base and took another 50 balls. He went back to second and worked on a backhand took about 15 backhands. Lo and behold, the next day, first he's playing second base, first ball's a rocket up the middle, he backhands and throws the guy out. That's what I'm talking about. Edge isn't just being tough and I'm going to beat you. It's about having the right frame of mind to go out there to be in, uh, best. And to me, DJ LeMahieu brings a certain toughness to the Yankees. So does Judge. So does Rizzo. And that's why they're having the success they're having. That's a great point. Sal, you had something you wanted to add. Well, real quickly, I, as a non-professional uh, baseball um, denizen, so to speak, I always felt once there was free agency, guys felt that someday they were going to be the teammate or could be the teammate of someone else. I think that started to break down that that barrier. That's just my personal impression. But what I see at the school level is a, a, an active um, – effort to make sports less important and you know you can say whatever you want about everything being uh, appropriate for kids and they all should be able to have uh, activities they engage in but the reality is sports are more important than a lot of other things that go on and once they break that down then you see what you're seeing you've got now guys that are playing in, in pro sports that have been subjected to this treatment throughout their youth, where it was not cool to be an athlete in many cases, even if it was a good team. I've been in schools where the teams were ridiculed by the student body and there was no support from the administration. And these were teams that were both good and bad. So that has a lot to do with how these athletes are behaving now that they're professionals. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Yeah, great. Kevin, point. you had one you wanted to add. No, I, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, I think the points that Sal makes and, and Will Mc, and Bull makes are just uh, incredible points. And 
just start small. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. You know, the toughest kid on the block. Just take care of yourself. Take a few, like like you said. Take a few. Watch a few balls off the bat in batting practice, and all of a sudden, uh, be in the right uh, mode mentally. The game is. It's really Yogi Berra was right about the game. You know, so much of the game being mental. It really is. And and if you do that, you're going to be successful. And and again, we're not just saying this to the youth. We're saying this to the major leaguers. I've had talks with major league players. I I, I went up to Dom Smith one day. It was his birthday, and and uh, I think he was turning 22. And he was having some issues um, in that spring training. I think he was late a couple of days. Things happened out. You know, he just wasn't having his best spring training. And I went over and wished him happy birthday. And this is what makes me different, guys. You know, I, I don't like I said, I don't care. So I went over and said, hey, happy, we were on a trip. I think we were in Arizona. And, uh, and I, I go, happy birthday, Dom. I go, how old are you? He goes, 22. And I said, 22, huh? Well, you know what that means? He goes, what's that mean? I, mean, I said, it's time to grow up. Time to grow up. You know, and, and he was taken aback by it, but we had a great conversation. And I give Dom Smith all the credit in the world. This kid turned it all around within one year. He grew up. And now... I would love to, just from a baseball standpoint, I would love to see him being a situation where he could play every day. So, you know, it, we're not just saying this to 12-year-olds, 17-year-olds. It's major league players as well. I agree. I'll, I'll quote my dad um, as we wrap this up. He's, he told me as a 22-year-old, I was entering professional baseball. And I, I think with today's social media out there, it's a good message to kids getting their mind on the work that we're giving them as opposed to the different distractions that are out there. But the message he gave to me was talking about stuff and doing stuff. They battle for the same resources in your brain. So just huh. shut up and do your job. And that's what, that's that's what I got to send out to. Was your father Bill Belichick? <laughs> I think a little more Bill Parcells. <laughs> that's nice. A little, a little bit sharper than, than uh, as far as the words. But, uh, no, that's all great insight into that. And to kind of touch briefly on – the familiarity that we're seeing with these players, the slapping each other high five after a grand slam, they just hit off your pitcher or a double. Do, I, do we think that's attributed a lot to the way youth sports is run right now, where these kids are, um, they're, they're getting to know each other earlier. Uh, they can communicate yeah. earlier. They're switching of teams at the age of 10. I mean, they're just, if things don't go right, they're jumping teams. Do they want to play with their buddies? Not necessarily playing with the best players. Um, how much do you think that lends to the competitiveness that we're not seeing uh, all the way at the at the big league level, maybe or even the, the professional level? Um, yeah, the you, you know the landscape is so different. Um, you know, I listened to the uh, press conference uh, this spring when uh, the Phillies had signed a uh, one of their big free agent signings, and you know, basically you know, it was Bryce Harper's doing because they had played together in travel ball, the, the player. And I, you know, the whole thing was like, like, like a recruiting process. And, you know, you sit back and you listen and um, yeah, they all want to win when they get there, but it's not a switch that you can flick on. It's a a desire to win is developed throughout your life. When you're overly selfish and all you develop are your tools to get the big signing bonus, you never blend in as a teammate. You never become that 
guy that does everything for the team. And in the, you know, in the process, you're a good player and your team wins. Most players are driven. I'm a good player and I'm going to get paid now. And you can't flick on a switch and now all of a sudden be, I'm I'm a good player that's going to help us win every day. So you have to find, you know, that's our, my job is to find the most players that I can that have that why that, that that's driving them every day to not only be good, but to win. Those great points. Kevin, you had, you had something you wanted to add. Well, the other thing is, and we can end it right here, but the other thing is let's not forget the agents. The agents are putting, you know, the agents bring their players together and these guys may be represented by the same agent. And, and so that's why they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hugging it out so much. So, Never forget, you know, like they always say, it's the, the name on the front of the chest that matters. And, I, and I'd like to see a little more of that. And you know what happens? You see it every year in the, in the postseason. The team that wins is the team that plays selfishly and, and uh, you know, it's all for each other. That chemistry is huge in that clubhouse. No matter what the analytic people want to tell you that that doesn't matter, Go ask all the people that are wearing those rings at the end of the year about what chemistry did for that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no math problem that can figure that out. No, none whatsoever. Good point, Bull. Well, guys, this was a great, great show. I think a great follow-up to our first one. Anybody have any parting shots before we sign off? And uh, we'll have our, our guest come on. Uh, Dave will be on IMG Academy, head baseball coach and USA Baseball's uh, national coach. Uh, Kevin did a great article for him, Ball 9, Dave Turgeon. Um, any parting shots before we, we head out? I'd like to give a, uh, a comment, and it's a, one of my pet peeves. I'll just leave it out there, and hopefully we'll either get some responses or we could pick it up. But if I hear an announcer or somebody involved with the broadcast say that cramps are caused by dehydration one more time, I'm going to smash my head into a wall. So cramps are not caused by dehydration, and I'll leave it right there. That sounds like a that sounds like a topic for next week. And that's the thing: keep the keep the emails coming because there's no doubt in my mind we can do a whole show just with emails, you know. And, and that and that and that wouldn't be a bad way to go too. Because again, we're here we're here for the baseball player. That's who we're here for. Absolutely. Um, so for all of our fans out there, we're going to have our our guest on a little bit, but please don't forget to follow us on on Twitter. You can search Coach and Kernan. Also, you can email us at coachandkernan at protonmail.com. Uh, thanks again, guys, for this segment. Great dugout segment. I think our audience felt like they were actually sitting in the dugout with us, and we look forward to our guest in a couple minutes. Talk to you later, guys.